Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for this body of Calvary Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the season. Thank you, Lord, for this time where we just have our hearts and our our minds just meditating on the coming of your Son. We sang the song earlier, Let Your Kingdom Come. And that is exactly what Christmas is about. It is your kingdom coming to earth in Jesus. And then, of course, all that he accomplished on our behalf, living that sinless, perfect life so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice for our sins on the cross. But not that he would stay dead, but that he would resurrect. And that, Lord, he would now be sitting at your right hand as we await his second advent. Thank you for Christmas time. Thank you for the birth of your son. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that we enjoy because of your son coming into the world and saving wretched sinners like ourselves. And Lord, as we get to now the text this morning, the message, may we see in Paul this prayer that he will pray And may we take that prayer to heart and have the desire to pray the same as Paul. Lord, help us to better know you through your word, to better love you because of it, and certainly to love your son and your spirit. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I was trying to think uh, this week of some situations because you'll see one of the the kind of predominant theme this morning in our message will be uh, uh, about increasing our love and abounding in love. And I was trying to think of just some examples of that even from my own life. And I think the most natural or, or easiest, and a lot of you will be able to relate to, is Certainly, if you have children, and I presume grandchildren, that, uh, that there's a sense very easily that love increases. I, of course, remember back to when my wife Julie was pregnant with Jack, and just to find out that she was pregnant gave us tremendous uh, joy, and almost instantaneously you started to feel love towards this, this new human being that was being formed in the womb. And of course, uh, uh, nowadays people show up and they got it on their phone, but we had to get a little special printout of that first ultrasound. And uh, basically he was like, uh, looked like a peanut. And so we called him the peanut. And, and, and you just instantly just feel love towards the peanut, you know, and it's just, it's just inescapable. And as of course, Julie's getting bigger and he's showing, she's showing more. And I, I remember that moment too, of having my hand on her belly and actually feeling Jack moving inside. And it's like, ah, the love just increases exponentially. And of course he's born. And, um, it was, it was pretty awesome because, uh, the, the doctor allowed me to kind of, you know, help out, take part if you will. And he literally came out into my hands and it's like, and you're like, looking down and this is our child and this gift from the Lord. And again, the love is just increasing and it is abounding. And, and of course, the, the same happened with all of our kids, and in, including our adoptive kids. 
Owen was kind of an interesting situation because at the time, uh, we had been asked if we might be interested in, uh, in, in um, fostering this, uh, this newborn. And I'll be honest and say, I wasn't sure that I was ready for that yet. And Julie, she's ready. She's down there at the hospital in the NICU every day spending time with him. And she said, so, honey, you ready to come down? Okay. So I go down to the hospital, go into the NICU, and I'm standing there in front of him, and boom, that was it. <laughs> you look down, you're like, whoa, the heart just swells, and it's like, he's, yes, he needs to, he needs to, he needs to be ours. I already love, love this little person. And, um, and of course, even with my, my wife uh, of almost 30 years, uh, I hope you who are married experience the same, but through the ups and the downs, the difficulties, the trials, the, the joys, the sorrows, the love increases, and, and I feel absolutely more in love with my wife now than, than just I ever have been. And now, these are situations where, where I, I didn't really have to do anything here to kind of sense the love increasing or abounding, right? And there are those things like these that just kind of come naturally for us. What about those that maybe are just, let's be honest and say, not so easy to love? What do we do? What do we do with, with, with people like that? What, what do we do with people that we particularly don't really love? What do we do with people that maybe we even hate? What do we do with our enemies? One of the key themes again this morning is going to be this, this love that we are called to have for one another, right? In the context of inside the church, But you will see from our text, too, that there is also a call to have our love increase and abound for even those outside the church. Now, last week, we talked primarily about faith and how uh, encouraged Paul was by Timothy's return to him and the good report of what was going on there at Thessalonica in the church that they had left behind probably some months before. Indeed, Timothy's report included the fact that the church had remained steadfast in their newfound faith and love, especially in the midst of intense persecution, persecution that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were experiencing. And we would presume that the Thessalonian church was also experiencing because of what was happening to, again, the other three. Uh, But it was they who were standing firm in their faith And this brought great comfort to Paul, if you recall. And then furthermore, we saw from our text some of the fruit that rock-solid, steadfast faith produces. Either in the ones that that are exhibiting that faith or for the ones experiencing the faith of others. For instance, we learn that faith produces encouragement. And faith produces love. And faith produces fruit. And fellowship and comfort and life and thanksgiving and joy and prayer and even more faith. And now we get to the end of chapter 3. And and go ahead and turn there if you will, if you haven't already, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Where Paul, he changes gears a bit and he prays on behalf of his readers. And Paul often used prayer as a transition in, in his writings in this case, kind of transitioning between the, the narrative parts of chapters 1 to 3 and, and, and more of kind of the advice, what he's going to tell them uh, more about in chapters 4 and 5. 
In this case, Paul's prayer is intercessory in nature. He is interceding for the Thessalonian believers and and summarizes both what he has shared with them already and what he will continue to share with them in the rest of the letter. In the case of our text this morning, in Paul's prayer, you will see three desires of Paul. Three desires the last being a, a, a purpose clause of the second, but it also is expressed as a, a desire as well. And just please, as I've been encouraging you to do uh, along the way in Thessalonians, evaluate each aspect of Paul's prayer in light of yourself, in light of our church, and see if you would desire the same. See if our church desires the same. Uh, Why don't we go ahead and stand? We'll go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Paul writes, rather, Paul prays, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the first desire prayed for by Paul is back there in verse 11, which comes off of verse 10. They're they're not not connected. When Paul says that he's been praying most earnestly that the three of them would be able to see the Thessalonians soon enough. That was a great desire of Paul's to be back in fellowship with them in that physical way. He was also thrilled to hear from Timothy back in verse 6 that the Thessalonians had that same longing like Paul to see he and the others just as much as they wanted to see them. And so verse 11 expresses Paul's first desire. And we'll call this Paul's prayer for fellowship. Paul's prayer for fellowship. Again, he says, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. You see, Paul's prayer, Paul's wish is, is still that they would be able to see each other in the flesh, face to face, in the near future. And, and this again should remind us of this deep and, and, and special bond that Paul had with the Thessalonian church. And, and, and a bond that formed in a, in a relatively short amount of time between, between all of them. Again, uh, Silas and Timothy being included in that. And you think, this is God's design for the church, isn't it? It truly is his design for the church that we would enjoy the fellowship that we have in Christ Jesus with a profound love for one another. And not just for the church in its its local manifestation, but we also have the, the universal church to consider as well, which includes, of course, all believers everywhere. I don't know about you, but maybe you've gone on vacation and, uh, you know, you, wherever you go and, and you're, you're away on a Sunday and you decide, you know, I, I just 
man, we want to be with other believers on Sunday worshiping the Lord. So you find a church to go to um, while you're away. And and if you've had the same experience that, that, that Julie and I have, you typically feel an instant bond with those people wherever they are. It could be outside of Los Angeles or different part of California or in a totally different state. But you get in there and it's like, oh. I'm with my people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with, I'm with the people of God. I'm with my brothers and sisters. Julie and I have a couple of friends that, uh, senior saints and they have a trailer and they take all kinds of trips in the course of the summer and they always will find a church to go to. And, uh, and they always find some kind of blessings too. I remember uh, my friend Earl telling me one time they showed up and it was potluck day, you know, and so they were invited and got to, you know, just fellowship afterwards and have, have, have food with, uh, folks. He told me one time that they were staying in a campground and he said, this was really interesting. They had a campground chaplain. And he said, actually, it was a halfway decent service. You never know quite what you're going to get in a situation like that. But he said it was pretty solid. And having all the people there, and it was just a unique, I thought, man, that is the retirement job for me. You know, um, preaching the word in the morning and going fishing and camping and stuff, you know, in the afternoon. So, yes, that would be a good thing. Um, some of you have been on missions trips, missions trips, where maybe you go halfway around the world and, and maybe you don't even speak the language, and yet, and yet you're there with your brothers and sisters in Christ in another country, and don't you just feel that bond? You feel this instant bond with them that is just undeniable, this awesome, incredible fellowship that, that we have. And your heart just swells, and it should. It should. This is, this is the way it's supposed to work. In the case of verse 11, Paul is... He's really pulling out all the stops here, too, with this, this request, calling upon our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord to direct their way back to the Thessalonians. And, and really what is significant about this is that this is one of the earliest departures from, from maybe what would have been a Jewish prayer of, of Paul prior to conversion, where the prayer would have been just directed to God alone. But now, of course, the fact that Paul is including both Father and Jesus, the Son, shows that he is placing Jesus on par with God in the sense of authority that was previously just for Yahweh. It also demonstrates divine equality and unity between the Father and the Son as the two sovereignly and perfectly agree in all things. And yes, we would include the Holy Spirit in this as well. Divine equality and unity between Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And the point of what Paul is saying in verse 11 is, Please, Lord, please clear away the obstacles so that we can all be together again. And of course, the obstacles for, for Paul and company were the afflictions and, and sufferings pertaining to persecution that Paul is, has spoken about. In addition, Satan, if you remember, was also hindering them. And because of these things, Paul would need God the Father and God the Son to do what would be necessary to make it happen and get them back to Thessalonica. One commentator said, Spiritual power is required to remove a spiritual hindrance. We have to remember that. That's absolutely true. And so we might ask too, did this reunion ever take place? Did, did, did he ever get to see the Thessalonians again? Well, the answer is yes. 
He did. Uh, We know this from Acts 20, verses 1 to 6, but that would have even been several years later. We don't know if maybe in between there he had that opportunity or not. We're not specifically told in Scripture. And I would just kick this back to us. Friends, how much do we desire and even pray to God for the fellowship of the saints? We need to be doing that. I pray that we do have a desire to be with one another. And I, and I think just with some of the, the, the ministry events that we've had lately, again, the pie and praise, we had our men's breakfast. Oh, we have a couple of tremendous ones coming up next weekend with the, with the concert and, of, of course, Christmas Eve. Does your heart desire to be with the people of God? I pray that it does. I pray that it does. Does our heart as a church desire to be with one another? Secondly, the second thing that Paul prays for, and this is where we'll be kind of camped out the longest today, is we have Paul's prayer for love. Paul's prayer for love. Look back at verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. And of course, Paul just got done identifying Jesus as the Lord in verse 11. So that is who he is now referring to here. And, and notice too that the focus is on Jesus causing the Thessalonians to increase and abound in this love. This is important, I think, and, and it also makes sense Again, that this is an intercessory prayer. It is Paul beseeching the Father and Son to accomplish three very specific things. In addition, the Lord, the Lord needs to be the one causing this to happen. Because, frankly, increasing and abounding in love for each other, others in the church, as well as even outside the church. Can I just be honest and say it doesn't always come naturally to us? It just doesn't. And while the emphasis is on what the Lord is being asked to do, it also doesn't negate the responsibility of all of us, right? In verse 12, the people in verse 12 to help themselves or help ourselves to increase and abound in love. I've said this before, but I just think it bears saying again, it's about the sanctification coin that I call it. And the fact that it has two sides. Now, sanctification being what happens to you after God saves you. In, in the literal sense of, of setting you apart now. That you are made sacred for holy use. It means, it means how God makes us to be holy and clean and pure. Which is to say... That God starts to conform you and I into the image of his son. He makes us more like Christ. And, and so what I mean by the sanctification coin having two sides is this. One side is absolutely what God does to sanctify you. Or, or to make you like his son. But the other side, we flip it over, is our responsibility in this process Which, when it comes down to it, it's all about obedience. It's about obedience. Uh, Keep your marker there at 1 Thessalonians. I had a little longer section in here, but I had to start cutting stuff out. I always, you know, it's always too much. So go to Philippians. We'll we'll cut to the chase here. 
Just back up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I love this passage because in this passage, it shows us the two sides of the coin in one passage. Okay? So Philippians 2, 12 to 13. I was thinking, gosh, did I read this one recently? Maybe I did. And if I did, I'm sorry, but we're going to hear it again. Okay? It, 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 it bears repeating. It bears repeating. On one side, we see what God does to sanctify us. and the other, we see our responsibility in our sanctification. This passage comes on the heels of that great section on humility and Paul telling us how we are to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Then we get to Philippians 2. Look at verse 12, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, our responsibility, right? You have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What do we see there again? But our responsibility, the part that we are to play in our sanctification. Then check this out, verse 13, for it is God. God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Oh, now we see God's role in our sanctification. So we see both here. And, 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 and again, is it, is it God working in us or is it, is it us working out our salvation through obedience? Yes, yes, we see both here. Both. Now, mind you, while we play a part in our, our sanctification here on earth and, and, and through our obedience, it will be God and God alone who completes our sanctification in the future. Amen? We will, we will see uh, this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, when we get there, when Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second advent, right? God will will at that time put in that very last piece of the puzzle that makes it complete. So getting back to verse 12, 1 Thessalonians, we can get back there. We understand that Paul is praying. He is praying for the Thessalonians to increase and abound in love for one another. And then secondly, for all people. And what's interesting here is that Paul has already commended them for their love. This goes back to chapter 1, verse 3, when he gives thanks to God for their labor of love. And then in 3, 6, which we had last week, Timothy has brought good news of their faith and love. So it's not that the Thessalonians were loveless in, in any way, shape, or form. They had the love thing going on, but rather Paul is now encouraging them to push that love, stretch that love even further. Uh, one of my go-to uh, word sources is uh, called the Complete Word Study Dictionary of the New Testament. And uh, it helps us out here when it tells us that to increase means to have more than enough. So that a Christian will always have an abundance which enables him or her to share, to share with others. Abound is a synonym that also means to be in excess of or to have more than enough. But in the sense of the effort which must be exercised in a particular circumstance to have something left over to give. 
In other words, to increase means always being plentiful and to abound, meaning reaching beyond ourselves. So a Christian's love should be such that we always have enough love to give others, whatever the situation or circumstance might be. And if we have the proper attitude as Paul did of having in our lives really more than we deserve, more than we even really need, as he said in Philippians 4.18, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. Then we are not only content with the love God has given to us, but, but then we have a desire to share the increase and reach beyond ourselves to abound in love. Now, another interesting aspect of Paul's prayer to God is that God will not just increase and abound their love for one another, right? Other believers, those inside the church, but for all people. Isn't that interesting? Even those that are outside the church, those that are not Christians. Now, think about that. Why do you think Paul wants us to abound in love, increase in love for a bunch of dirty, wretched, rebellious unbelievers. <laughs> yeah, like us, right? There's, uh, I love Les Miserables. Love the story, love the musical, love Les Mis. Haven't read the book yet. Maybe I should go back and read the book. It's going to take me a while, right? But uh, in, in, um, in, in Les Mis, uh, Victor Hugo's Les Mis tells the story of Jean Valjean, right? Whose only crime was the theft of a loaf of bread to feed his sister's starving children after some 19 years of hard labor. He's released from the galleys, unable to find work because he has been a convict. He comes to the home of this, this, this good old bishop who kindly gives him supper. He gives him a bed for the night. And yet, yielding to temptation, he steals the bishop's silver plates. He runs out. He's soon caught by the police, and he's returned. The police show back up to the the bishop with Jean Valjean and the stolen goods. The police, expecting the bishop to identify Valjean as the thief, were shocked when the good, good bishop says, Well, no, I gave them to him. I gave them to him. Oh, and Monsieur Valjean. You forgot that I gave you the candlesticks as well. And he gets the candlesticks and gives them to Valjean. Of course, just this amazing account of of love for another person, even an unbeliever at this point, Valjean at that point is just astounded at such love and kindness. And this puts him on the path to salvation. Friends, loving unbelievers can open the door for the gospel and it can help turn a sinner into a saved person. It turns the sinner to the Savior. So we have to remember that. Go ahead and um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's, let's look at this a little more closely. Make sure we got this in our thick heads, right? 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 8. <laughs> now, ever since a couple weeks ago, I'm always looking at the text, and looking at my notes, make sure the text matches up. Yes, good. <laughs> 
Here Paul has been dealing with Christians suing other Christians. And then he says this. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 8, on the contrary, in other words, he's telling them how they should have been, you yourselves wrong and defraud. He's talking to the church, the Corinthian church. You do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Check out this next phrase, friends. Such were some of you. Gulp, right? But you were washed. Oh, you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. That was us. We got to not ever forget that, friends. That was us. Maybe it's important to increase and abound in our love for unbelievers. So as it was with us, they might hear the gospel, they might repent, and they might believe. Amen? Someone once said, It is no chore for me to love the whole world. My only real problem is loving my neighbor next door. Somebody else uh, writes, The early Latin writer Tertullian of Carthage declared that the one thing that converted him to Christianity was not the arguments they gave him, because he could find a counterpoint for every argument they would present. Quote, But they demonstrated something I didn't have. The thing that converted me to Christianity was the way they loved each other. End quote. So let's just take a few more minutes here and talk about, talk about this love that, that we are praying for, for the Lord to increase and abound. Uh, guess what the, the Greek word there for this, this kind of love, specifically back in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12, it is agape love. I know you've heard of that. Agape love is that, that sacrificial love. It's also a volitional love. It is a love of the will. It is an unselfish love that always seeks to do what is right for another person, irregardless of, of how it makes us feel. Now, I, I know we've talked about this before, but maybe this is part of the problem with our world today, that we have too many of us that speak and act solely on feelings, solely on our emotions. Not saying that those are bad things. They are gifts of God to us when understood properly. But sometimes people will go so far as to make even big or, or important decisions just based on feelings. And friends, if, if we acted solely on our feelings and our emotions, think about this. If we did that in our relationships, guess how many friends we'd have? Zero. Zero. If we acted solely on our, our feelings and emotions, <clears throat> excuse me, it would be pointless to get married because we would just soon enough get divorced. I mean, if we acted solely on our feelings as we raised our children, the human race would go extinct in one generation because of mothers and fathers eating their young. If we acted on our feelings in our jobs, 
No doubt we'd be fired, all of us. If we acted solely on our feelings with our finances, we would all go broke. If we acted solely on our feelings, most of us would probably end up as criminals, to be honest. And when we act solely on our feelings, we are only doing what's right for three people. Me, myself, and I, right? It's all about number one, concerned with number one. When I act out that way, you might be going, okay, okay, I understand, I understand, Pastor Jay, but, but here's the thing, you know, it, sometimes it is just, it is so hard to love some people, especially when they're unlovable, or, or, or they're acting unloving, or they're not frankly deserving of my love. That's right. It is. It is difficult. I imagine a number of us may be struggling with this even right now. And this is why this is why we need to pray with Paul for that supernatural help of God in causing us to increase and abound in love for those that we find it difficult to do this for. You know, one of the key ways that this can be accomplished, it's just what we're talking about, what Paul is doing Prayer, praying for it. Brothers and sisters, might it be a part of your prayer life right here, right now, to pray, Lord, help me to increase and abound in my love, not just for people in my church, not for fellow believers, but for those that I find it difficult to love right now. Give me that love for them. Help that love to increase. Help it to abound. Let's, let's, let's trust again in, in the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to do this work in us. And, and maybe we can take that a step further. And I would challenge you, when you have those people in your life that are difficult to, to love, that you would start by just praying for them. Praying for them truly, and sincerely, and praying for God's blessings to be upon them. I would suggest to you, nothing will start to change your heart quicker, the Lord changing your heart quicker, than if you start truly doing that. It's not, yeah, Lord, I, I, I pray for so-and-so that, um, that, that, that I can start loving them, and, 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 um, or, or that you would, uh, that you would um, bless them, God, but if not, then, you know, strike them with lightning, that's not what we're talking about, gang. It's just not. It, it needs to be true, sincere, out of the love that we have that was given to us. We'll talk about that in just a sec. The love given to us by our Lord, right? Pray for them. Lord, would you bless so-and-so? I don't even feel like saying that, but Lord, please bless them somehow, some way in their life. And see if your heart doesn't follow suit. In addition, remember that loving those that are difficult to love is exactly what God has done for you when he saved you. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is a remarkable verse to me. Because you think, did, did, did God wait until, until you know we could act righteously before he would send his son well yeah i'm just gonna hang back here i want to wait and see what jay does and and as soon as jay starts acting righteously uh then then i will save him then i will send my son for him well no of course not even while we are in that sinful wicked rebellious state 
just doing all we can to rebel against God, that is when he saves us. That is, that is when he, or I should say, that is when he sent Christ to die for us, to offer us that salvation, right? He didn't, he didn't wait until we could become perfect people before doing this. No, he loved us even when we were unlovable. And when we think of God's agape love towards us, his, his, his very own creation, we need to understand that it is God's will to do what is best for us, not necessarily what, what we think is best for us, right? There's a key difference there. Uh, and an example would be John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. He gave. What did God give? Did he give the world what the world wanted? Did he give the world what what the world thought the world needed? No, he gave the world what they did need by way of his son as savior for sins. And by the way, if that's you this morning, if you are a sinner who needs a savior, that savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, to trust in that fact and what he did on the cross on your behalf and that he would die in your place and that he would be resurrected for the dead for you so that you could be forgiven of your sin and you could have new life in Christ. Amen indeed. And here's the catch, if you will, in regards to us being able to show agape love for others. We can't do it truly apart from Christ. We just can't in no way, shape, or form. That's it. That's the key to the big mystery. Agape love comes from God. God is agape love, 1 John 4, 8. It comes from his son Jesus through his Holy Spirit into our hearts. There's that verse. I think it's one of the first ones they learned in Awana, right? We love him because he First loved us, First John four nineteen, and God has demonstrated agape love even to the world, because it rains on the just and the unjust, right? Yes, it does. But He also demonstrates even more that agape love to those who come to believe in His Son Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In fact, you not only received the free gift of salvation because of God's agape love, but you also received the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and and sanctify you and therefore help you to demonstrate that same agape love to others, whether it be your spouse, whether it be your children or grandchildren or family or friends or Neighbors or co-workers or bosses, students, acquaintances, and even enemies. And, oh yes, even to those in the church. In the church. Turn, if you will, to John 15. John 15. Gospel of John. Beginning in verse 12. Turn down my mic for a second if you could, thanks. That sounds really great on the uh, audio recording, you know, so. <clears throat> Thanks, guys. John 15, 12 to 17. And here we have what, what, what I remember teaching this to um, uh, 
my son's chapel at one time, little kids. And so I call it the one another sandwich, the love one another sandwich, okay? Love one another sandwich here in John 15, verses 12 to 17. And you might remember that commercial uh, advertising two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on sesame seed bun, right? It's like tongue twister. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm talking about there. All right, well, this is, this, is, this is the Bible's version of the love one another Big Mac, all right? That's what we got going here. The love one another Big Mac. Look what he says here. Jesus says to his disciples, upper room, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This is my com- this I command you that you love one another. <clears throat> so again, we got this 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 cool agape love sandwich. We got these two pieces of bread, right, which are the commands to love one another. And in between, oh, we find all the good stuff, the lettuce and the, you know, which is is um, that agape love is sacrificial even to the point of death. We have, we have the cheese, which is this loving friendship with Jesus unto obedience. We've got the meat that, that Jesus loves us to the point where he discloses everything about the Father that we need to know to us. The secret sauce is that because Jesus loves Loves us. He, he is predestined and elected us for salvation and sanctification to receive all good things from the Father. And uh, you just go, wow, what a sandwich, right? I mean, kind of kind of puts McDonald's Big Macs to shame. Now, friends, agape love has always been God's plan and his desire for human beings And if everyone came to faith in Christ Jesus and started showing agape love to everyone else, what do you think would happen in our world? I mean, you know, big giant wish list kind of thing. What do you think would happen? Amazing things. You would see the leopard lay down with the goat. You would see the child play with the cobra or or here in Southern California, probably rattlesnakes. I mean, think about it. There would be no more divorce. There would be no adultery. There would be no children caught in custody battles, no abortion, no falling outs or, or, or cutting off or excommunicating of family members. There would be no angry speech or violent actions or even angry looks. Oh, you know, one of the things I knew would happen eventually, it's like you get on driving on the freeways down here, man, it's like a reminder, I'm used to two lanes, you know, and, and you just kind of do go as fast or slow as you want kind of thing, and everybody's just kind of cool and okay with it. It's like, man, that's, it's a test of sanctification to drive into work every day. It just is. But we would, we would, 
we would not see these kinds of things. There wouldn't be mass shootings like the other one that now we, we, we have to, to contend with or, or children, children killing parents or vice versa. In fact, murder would be a thing of the past. War would be no more if we all just had Jesus and his Holy Spirit and we were actually able to show agape love to others. Basically, it would be utopia, wouldn't it? It would be heaven on earth. But alas, this will not come until Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. But rest assured, he is coming and this will happen. We will see this day. Now, there are so many other directions we could we could go in talking about agape love from the scriptures but again, the, the context of our verse is about agape loving others. And, and for this, there's just, I think, no text better than 1 Corinthians 13. Just go ahead and turn there for a minute. 1 Corinthians 13. You, you know the passage. 1 Corinthians 13 is given in the context of Paul writing to the church about things that were going on in their worship service. But especially here in this section pertaining to spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts and, and a misuse of gifts and, and, and a, a recognizing uh, people were desiring certain gifts when, when they really maybe shouldn't have been. And, and, um, and so he, he goes into this, this just this awesome <clears throat> understanding of the most important thing, of course, is love. You don't have love. All those gifts are really for naught. They are for nothing. And so we have this classic text in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Where Paul says, first he talks about what love is, and he talks about what it isn't, right? Um, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Now let me ask you this, because here in Paul's, this is just a tremendous definition of agape love. How many feelings are mentioned? Zero. Zero. They are all words and phrases of what? Action. Action. Love is this. It does this. It does not do this, right? And does does this mean that you have to be unemotional, devoid of feelings in in your love for someone? No, of course not. Of course not. We'll have to do a whole message sometime on, on feelings and emotions being good things, right? Being good and glorious gifts of God. Because I don't mean ever to, to, to downplay that either. But emotions really become the byproduct of biblical love. The byproduct of biblical love. You biblically love someone and the result is, is that there are these positive emotions and feelings that follow. <clears throat> In his book, The Fruitful Life, uh, Jerry Bridges uh, points out that if we turn the commands of 1 Corinthians 13 into, into, into aspects of motivation, right? It might read something like this. So here's Jerry Bridges' uh, paraphrase. I am patient with you because I love you and want to forgive you. 
I am kind to you because I love you and want to help you. I do not envy you because I love you and want you to have the best. I do not boast about my attainments because I love you and I want to hear about yours. I am not proud because I love you and I want to esteem you before myself. I'm not rude because I love you and I care about your feelings. I am not self-seeking because I love you and want to meet your needs. I am not easily angered by you because I love you and want to overlook your offenses. I do not keep a record of your wrongs because I love you and love covers a multitude of sins. Now, before we, before we close out with Paul's third prayer request, we, we, we just got to finish up one last little part of verse 12, which acknowledges that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are the examples for the Thessalonians to increase and abound in their love for others when he says at the end of verse 12, just as we also do for you. So they had these tremendous examples. And of course, we have these tremendous examples now. We have Paul and Silas and Timothy. And we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and friends, what, what will we do with this today? What will we do with this, this, this needing to increase and abound in our love? And like I said earlier, pray, pray, pray. Just like Paul did. That that would be a work of God in your own heart. But then, yes, look for those ways that you can be responsible that for you to, to live out uh, that increasing of love and abounding in love for others. So lastly, we get to this last part of Paul's prayer, which is this. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians at Christ's return. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians at Christ's return. We see in verse 13, he says, so that, and, and, and there we would just interject and say, remember that, that this last one is both a, a reason and a request. It's the reason for verse, uh, verse 12 there and the increasing of love, but it's also a request so that he, Jesus, nearest antecedent, okay, Jesus may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, friends, this goes well with what we read earlier in that passage that we'll get to in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23 when he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see, a, we see just a few things happening here. Jesus' return, and by the way, this also continues Paul's theme of Jesus's. we call it his parousia, right? His second coming, his return, that we will see in a greater way when we get into chapters 4 and 5. In any case, this third request of Paul ties directly with that previous request of increasing and abounding in our love for others because hearts can only be blameless and sanctified due to genuine love that makes sense right genuine love furthermore paul prays that the hearts of the thessalonian believers may be established that they would be they would be fast and and firmly fixed without blame acceptable to god and with holiness there's that sanctification element, right? In the sense of being consecrated, again, set apart as God's special possession before or in front of our God and Father at the coming, parousia, 
in the presence of the Lord Jesus, his son. In other words, God causes the hearts of us, his children, to increase in love for one another and for for all people, which then through your obedience sanctifies you so that when Jesus returns, he finds you blameless and holy, acceptable and set apart. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you address as the father, the one, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. This is what we are to be doing now in the world and how we are to be conducting ourselves so that we can stand there blameless, acceptable in the Lord's sight. We're ready for him. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I am ready. I'm ready. And one last little piece here in our text uh, is this reference to the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, holy ones. And you go, well, who's he referring to? Is he referring to Christians or is he referring to, you know, like heavenly hosts as in angels? And here's the dilemma. The dilemma is that Paul is talking about Jesus's coming as in his his second coming at the end of the tribulation period where he establishes that millennial kingdom on earth. Or we could ask, is he referring to his coming when those that are dead and alive meet Christ, meet him in the or dead and alive in Christ, meet him in the clouds in the air that we're going to see in chapter four well you see paul he he does commonly use this word hagias which is that word for holy or set apart here he uses it for saints and he does use this for new testament believers and he, he he in the new testament never uses it for angels or heavenly hosts yet we see both as coming with christ at his return angels as in matthew 16 and verse 27 and also believers, we see in Revelation nineteen fourteen. And so when we get to this passage, in, in, or, or our passage in chapter 4, verses 16 to 17, there in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, we're not told that either angels or believers accompany Christ when he returns to the clouds. So personally, I think it, I think it best that we understand Paul to be referring to Jesus' actual return to earth. That's spoken of in Revelation 19 and verse 14, where John tells us, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. These would be the dead and alive that were previously caught up in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. 
in Birmingham, Alabama, many years ago, there lived a Presbyterian pastor by the name of James Byron. Excuse me, James Bryan. And throughout the city, he was known as Brother Bryan. There were many preachers stronger in pulpit oratory, but none preached better sermons than he did with his life. Like Jesus, he went about doing good. And it was a common thing for him to come home on a cold day without his overcoat because he had given it to some poor person who had none. One spring day, he was driving a horse and buggy through the countryside and he saw a a, a farmer standing dejectedly in the field. It was time for his spring plowing, but his only horse lay dead. Brother Brian unhitched his horse and gave it to the man and then walked home. It was fitting that when his biography was written, it was called a sermon in shoes. John Donne might well have had persons like him in mind when he said of all the commentaries on the scriptures, good examples are the best. Friends, let us use Paul and his prayer this morning as our good example. Let us use, of course, he and Silas and Timothy and the Thessalonians, how they increase their love for one another as our good example. Let us certainly use our Lord Jesus Christ as that good example. And loved ones, may we desire to be with one another in fellowship, warts and all, right? And may we increase and abound in love for one another and for all all people. And because of this, may our hearts be established, blameless, and holy in the presence of God at the return of His Son. And may we then be found ready and faithful so that we can look forward to hearing those marvelous words, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your Master. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this time in your word. I pray that these truths would just sink deep into our hearts and minds and souls and that we would now seek to live them out. I pray for any here that need to put their faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would just be praying even right now a prayer of repentance, Father. We pray all of this in your Son, Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.